0: I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I'm going back today to end this season. I'm so looking forward to 2022. I have amazing, amazing guests coming up, starting with the concept of living. And I felt like what better way to end 2021 than to go back to one of my favorite episodes and certainly one of your all favorite episodes with Dr. Bruce Lipton. And in this episode, we talk about really how you can shift and change the trajectory of your life based on epigenetics. And so in this episode, I'm going to be commenting a little bit on some of what Dr. Lipton and I spoke about, also sharing a little bit of some before and after behind the scenes footage of our banter, because that's the stuff that you all don't get to hear or see. But usually there is a lot that happens before the show and after the show, when the guests and I just kind of talk about life, death, and the space between. So Here you go for the end of 2021, a little glimpse into what goes on inside my mind outside the actual podcasting space, and also to deepen your understanding of what was one of the most transformative episodes in the 200 that I've done. So enjoy. Good morning. How are you? I want to be where you are.
1: (laughs) That's imaginary land.
0: (laughs) Exactly my point. Exactly my point. I'm wonderful. How are you?
1: I am a very happy person, of course. And to be here with you, look, we have so much we could talk about anywhere from birth to death and after and then around again.
0: I know. I know. I am so honored and excited to have you on. It's like mind blowing to me that I'm talking to you right now.
1: I so appreciate it because um, um, this saves me a lot of uh, leaving the driveway and going out into the world so I can talk to the world through you. So thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. And you're in California? Yes, I am. Okay, where exactly?
1: Santa Cruz. Oh, oh have you been there?
0: No, but I don't know. Where, Any- where, are, you, where are you? I'm babe? in Chicago. Mm-hmm.
1: I lived in Wisconsin for 10 years in Madison. So I, I have uh, not the, like, greatest affinity for winter in in the midwest i'll tell you right now
0: <laughs> i know it is it's really like every year I, I just am like oh are we at it again my whole family's here which makes it it makes it what it is uh, clearly we could talk for hours you and i well, uh, I, I, know I that's probably how you are but
1: so many different things to talk about from birth death and beyond back to birth again. Any topic in that area related to biology, we got it. So uh, okay, let's, we'll start, get let's it going. start a wonderful program. Okay. okay.
0: So I will introduce me, introduce you. I have sort of questions that are um, outlined. Great. Because I like to read every single book for every person <laughs> that I interview, because I'm just, that's how I roll. All right. I have Bruce H. Lipton, PhD, an international recognized leader in bridging science and spirit, Sem- stem cell biologist, best-selling author of *The Biology of Belief*, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Dr. Lipton's work summarizing his findings, entitled The New Updated 10th Anniversary Edition of the Biology of Belief, his second book, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here, and his third book, The Honeymoon Effect, The Science of Creating Heaven on Earth, are all available now on Hay House. Welcome, Dr. Lipton, to the show.
1: Amy, Dr. Robbins, I am so happy to be here with you, but more importantly, I'm so happy to be here with your audience. Uh, the people that are going to be observing this, are, by definition, are cultural creatives, people that are seeking answers outside of the box, and it's really relevant because inside the box there's so much chaos and, uh, and upheaval going on that there are no answers in there. The answers are where we are right here, Amy.
0: Well, and this is such a treat for me. I've been following your work for years. I I actually went back to my bookshelf to pull out your book, looked through all my underlines, read it again. I, I'm a little nervous, but we talked before, so you're like amazing. So <laughs> let's so let's get into for people who don't know your work, what is the premise of it and why do you think people have so flocked to your work for so many years?
1: Well, the conventional story that people have out there in the world about life is that uh, at the moment of conception, we receive genes from our mother and genes from our father, and they come into this uh, developing embryo. So uh, we are also told that the genes control the traits. And then we're also told that genes turn on and off by themselves. And I go, so let's put that picture back together. My life is controlled by genes. As far as I know, I didn't pick the ones I got. If I don't like the characters and traits that I'm expressing, I can't change those genes. And then I add on top of that, well, they turn on and off by themselves. And all of a sudden you realize oh, my God, I'm a victim of my heredity. Meaning, let's just say there's cancer running in my family, and then I go, oh, my goodness, you know, I I could get that gene. Then if I get that gene, then I'm going to get that cancer. And so we have led ourselves to believe that we are powerless in the unfolding of our lives and that these genes control us. Well, my research completely... uh, (laughs) undid that entire story uh back 53 years ago amy you weren't even here yet uh 53 <laughs> years ago uh i was doing a cloning stem cells and stem cells let me just briefly say what is a stem cell and the answer is first recognize when you look in the mirror and see yourself as a as a human being living entity and we say oh yeah i'm an entity a single entity and i go an illusion because you're actually made out of 50 trillion cells. I mean, if your eyes could have microscopic capabilities, then you could uh, look into your body and say, oh my goodness, there's this community of 50 trillion cells. Every cell is, not every cell, but virtually every cell is a sentient being. And this is what I mean. I take them out of your body, put a cell in a Petri dish. They grow without you. They can create a life without you in there. Cells are capable of all the things that we have. As a matter of fact, every character that we have digestion respiration excretion movement nerve action uh even you know reproduction and all that uh every cell has those those characters so in other words no matter how smart we think we are we came from cells and we express all the characteristics of these cells so if you understand how cells work then you understand how humans work because we're just a larger version of that cell. So we have 50 trillion cells in every second or every minute, I think. Every minute we lose about three and a half million cells. So uh, uh, since the beginning of this little program, you you know, you probably lost about 15 million cells. Right. Go, this is a natural turnover, lifespan and, and stuff like that. But I say, well, how many days can you live if every day you lose millions or actually every day we lose hundreds of billions of cells? And I go, well, how many days can you live if every day you're losing all these cells? The answer is not very long. But if you have replacement cells, embryonic replacement cells that can replace any of the cell types that have died, then cells can die and new cells come in. And guess what? Now it's stabilized So every day I wake up, it looks like me, but I've got, you know, hundreds of billions of new cells and hundreds of billions of cells that died. uh, And it's a turnover. So I say, well, what are the cells, the embryonic cells that replace the ones that we, you know, the ones that we uh, lose every day? Uh, And the answer is they're called stem cells. They're embryonic cells.
0: Hmm.
1: So my point is, what what did I learn? Well, I'm teaching in the medical school and teaching in the schools about genes control life. So that's my lecture stuff. And that's based on the standard curriculum that has been carried since basically 1945, when DNA was discovered to be the hereditary material. That's how how recent it was, in a sense. Uh, uh, DNA really wasn't understood until 1945. And in 1953, Uh, the picture of the double helix comes out with Watson and Crick. Uh, And in this moment, because I have a chance, uh, in regard to the Me Too movement, I just want people to recognize this, that they, Watson and Crick, did not discover the DNA double helix. It was a woman who discovered it, Rosalind Mm. Franklin. and, uh, And the old boys science club in those days, uh, her major mm. advisor gave her research to Watson and Crick without even her knowing about it. They then took her research before she had an opportunity to present it. They took her research and jumped on it and double helix DNA. So let's say the, the DNA story, Watson, Crick and Rosalind Franklin. That's wow. it. She, she has to be brought back in because she is the one that, uh, through her research discovered DNA double helix. Okay. So, uh, uh, basically, uh, I was teaching that story that we talked about, genes control your life. Now I go back and say, but when I went in my laboratory, I put these embryonic cell in culture and I put one cell in a tissue dish. And I go, this is called cloning. And the reason why it's called cloning is the cell divides every 10 hours. And so first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, and it doubles, eight, 16, 32. At the end of the week, I've got 30,000 cells in the Petri dish, but the most important thing is this cloning is all those cells came from one parent. And that means what? That I have 30,000 genetically identical cells as they all just repeated what the parent cell was. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're genetically identical. I split those cells into three different Petri dishes. So in the end, all the dishes have genetically identical, the same cells in them. But I change what is called the culture medium. That's what we grow cells in. It's a fluid. And I go, what is culture medium? This is critical. We're going to come right back to this. Culture medium is the laboratory version of blood. So if I grow human cells, I look at what is human blood made out of. And then in the lab, I create it, you know, synthesize it and make a a synthetic version of blood, but it's called culture medium. Now, here comes the critical part. Since I am synthesizing it, I could change some of the ingredients a little bit. So here's the point. I make three different versions of culture medium, changing the chemistry a little bit. And I feed each of the three plates a different version of culture medium. So, Genetically identical cells, but slightly different environment. And I go, in dish one, the cells form muscle. In dish two, the cells form bone. And in dish three, the cells form fat cells. I go, so what controlled the fate of those cells? And the old story was genes. I go, no, they all yeah. had the exact same genes. That wasn't determining what the cell was going to do. What determined what the cell was going to do was the chemistry of the environment. Okay?
0: So, But what led you to think, this is going to be my hypothesis, is that the environment is really what, what changes the cells, not the actual cell. Like, oh,
1: what that's in what your we- mind
0: was happening?
1: Well, that's at that point. It's like, wait a minute! I'm teaching in the classroom. Genes control life. I go into my laboratory, and it goes, no, environment controls life. So you
0: go- you this you sort of stumbled on this, or were you intending for that to be? Did you did you think that you were going to find that the cells all looked the same and all formed the same?
1: That was in that was what you would expect. Right. Okay? And since I was cloning, I was cloning what were called uh, stem cells that make muscle, which have a name, myoblast. So the point about it is if I put a myoblast stem cell in the culture, I should get all muscle cells. Right. But sometimes uh, I'd put the cells in and then when I'd see them the next day, they, no, they don't look like muscle cells. They change their shape. They look different. I go, Wait, what, why? Uh, they're all this. What happened? And then I started to recognize, and especially uh, my teacher at that time, back 53 years ago, was uh, Dr. Erwin Konigsberg, and he developed the cloning technique that I was using. And uh, uh, when I talked about it, he said, oh, (laughs) if you come in in the morning and the cells don't look healthy, it's not due to the cells it's due to the conditions of the culture medium that we created. And that was like, oh, okay, so there's a good version of culture medium and a less version, uh, and that was accepted without even thinking about it. But then when I started to look at the different cell types that when I, my medium was off a little bit, and I looked at them, I said, well, yeah, but they, they made something different than muscle. They were genetically supposed to create muscle. That was the stem cell for it. But then they started to create different cell types. And I go, wait a minute. The, the, this is, you know, um, it, 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 the, the environment was determining which cell type they would become. I go, well, this is complete contrast to what I'm teaching. Genes control life. No, environment controls life. And, and I say, so what's the difference? And this is the profound difference when you understand what it means. The story we all have bought and almost everyone out there in this audience right now is has bought the story that genes control life it's called genetic determinism that your genes determine the character of your life that's a philosophy that was a curriculum and i taught that okay but then i saw no wait the environment (laughs) if the environment changes the the cells change
0: so i just want to stop there for a minute and have everybody think about this and When we think about this, this research that Bruce Lipton was doing was around 1980, late 1980s, early 1990s, this notion of genetic determinism versus environment. Some people call it nature versus nurture. Uh, But when we think about the environment in which we live, and I just want everybody right now to just take a moment and think about everything in your environment, how it feels, the energy in your home, the energy with the people With whom you share space, whether that be uh, office space, whether that be people that you spend time with, however you think about sharing space. And just imagine what they are bringing every single day to your space and what you're bringing to theirs. And that in those moments, those interactions are shifting and shaping your DNA, just like what you bring to them is shaping theirs, what they bring to you is shaping yours. And so as we are interacting with every person on a day-to-day basis, I believe at my core that we are shaping their genetic outcome and ours based on those interactions. So again, we're talking about going into 2022. As we're thinking about this, think about the intention that you're bringing to every relationship that you have and how you are going to bring love into that Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect
1: to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: The power to shift who they are, just as it has the power to shift who they are.
1: The new story over here said, no, the environment. And I go, well, why is that relevant? Because if I change the environment, I change the expression of myself. Look at the human body, as I mentioned before. It's not a single entity, it's a community of cells, 50 trillion. Then I also say this, it's a skin-covered Petri dish, 50 trillion cells inside. And I also then say, what? And I also go, oh, my goodness, it's the culture medium that is controlling the fate. And I go, yeah, but inside, guess what? The original culture medium, blood, because that's what I made culture medium from, composition of blood. And so I realized, oh, my goodness, the blood in our body is the culture medium for 50 trillion cells. <clears throat> Does it make a difference if the cells in a plastic dish or a skin covered dish? I go, not at all. It still responds to the culture medium environment, synthetic environment, plastic dish, natural blood and skin covered body dish. And I go, so why is it relevant? Then it's like, huh? The chemistry of the blood is determining the fate of your cells. And then you carry up to the next step and go, who's the chemist? What makes the chemistry of your blood? And then I carried it up to the next and it's like, oh, my goodness. The cells in our body cannot see the world out here. Mm -hmm. They're inside. Mm -hmm. But they have to adjust. They have to adjust their behavior because whatever's going on out here, I have to adjust it in here. I go, the nervous system reads the environment, and then adjusts the chemistry of the blood to to make the cells respond to that environment. I go, so what does that mean? I say, the cells don't see the real environment. They only depend on my perception. So all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, our perceptions are creating the chemistry of our blood. If uh, you have a perception of love, the brain releases complementary chemistry for love going into the body, which includes uh, dopamine, pleasure. That's why, oh, love is so beautiful, oh, it feels so good. It's a chemical going in there. Oxytocin is released when you're in love because that bonds you to the source of your love. Uh, vasopressin is released when you're in love. That makes you more attractive to your partner. So your partner's going to stay with you. And, and very importantly, When people are in love, the vision of love in the brain is is released in the chemistry of growth hormone in the body into the culture medium. Mm -hmm. So I say, well, why is it relevant? I say, if I take those chemicals that I just said come from love and put them in a plastic petri dish with cells, the cells thrive. I go, this is what happens when people fall in love. They're healthier. They're thriving. Their life is much better. And I go, well, you know, people say, oh, look, you can see how they glow. See how in love they are. And I say that glow isn't an accident. That's a result of the culture medium, the blood containing those wonderful chemicals, especially growth hormone. You should really
0: consider teaching all of this. What's that? I said, you should really consider teaching (laughs) all of
1: that. (laughs) Well, I I should because uh, uh, let me just give the other alternative so that we can see two different things. Love releases beautiful chemistry. But if I open up my uh, opening my eyes and I see something that scares me, the brain translates fear into different chemicals. No dopamine, no oxytocin, no growth hormone. Fear picture is translated into stress hormones. Mm -hmm. that shut down the body's function and shut down the immune system protection fear wall off fear shut me down i go if i take the fear chemicals released by the brain put those in the plastic petri dish guess what the cells stop growing and then they start dying so love and fear two different chemicals sets of chemicals, released into what? The blood, culture medium, right? The culture medium then feeding 50 trillion cells. And I go, yeah, but it was the chemistry of the culture medium that determined the genetics. So there's environment. And this is the part, Amy, that I think I just really need people to emphasize. It's not only the real environment, it's the perception of that environment.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit about love and fear, because what I'm What I'm hearing all of you thinking is, what if I can't find love? What if I'm only feeling fear? And I think that when you're feeling these feelings, whatever they are, fear, scarcity, uh, anger, all you really have to do is tap into your own breath and breathe through that and allow the feeling to just move through you. And imagine replacing that feeling with the positive. So with love, with joy, with happiness, with contentment, with abundance, whatever it is, you don't necessarily have to figure out, this is coming from the therapist in me who spends her life trying to figure it out. You don't have to uh figure stuff out. I think I might get like booted from some platform somewhere. Uh, you, You might not understand but you can so easily just transform the feeling. And once you start to bring it in and integrate it, it will transform. And that's how we start to shift the cells in our body.
1: Two people can be in the exact same environment and see totally different things. Mm-hmm. One is going there, look how beautiful this place is. This is the greatest thing ever. And the other's is going, I- I'm concerned. I'm a little afraid about what's going on here. like I oh, go, they're both in the same environment. But the cells in one body are going to respond totally different than the cells in the other body. Epigenetic control is this trait is controlled epi above genetics, epigenetics, okay? I said, wait a minute, you mean the genes aren't in control? I go, no, no, genes are not in control. That epigenetics is environment Controlling. Ah, that's exactly what I saw 53 years ago, but it didn't become science until 1990. It took that long to get out of the story of genes con- activating themselves. Genes do not turn on and off, genes are blueprints to make body parts. I go, why is that relevant? I say, go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint. It's just lean over her shoulder and say, Is your blueprint on or off? And she was looking like, Is a blueprint? There's no on and off to a blueprint. Mm -hmm. I go, a gene is a blueprint. It does not have on and off. It cannot control itself. It doesn't turn itself on. It doesn't turn itself off. I said, well, then what regulates it? I say, the gene is a blueprint, and there's the equivalent of an architect that will select and modify the genes. I go, what's the architect? consciousness because that's the one that releases the chemistry that activates or inactivates the genes so as you see the world and then i go story everybody has genetic control victim you're a victim of your heredity new story epigenetic control oh if i change my perception if i change my environment i've changed my genetic activity and all of a sudden it's like i'm a master of my genes and yet everyone is programmed to be a victim and I go, well, oh, what? Yes, go ahead. Anita. No,
0: no, I was just going to say, I remember the first time I was at a conference that was actually I go to this Freud meets Buddha conference every year. And I remember hearing about epigenetics and coming out, being so excited that it just it just made sense to me that we have so much more control than than we think of, and i and I talk with my patients often about this, is that you know the story that you're telling yourself in this situation is going to be different than the story anybody else tells themselves in that, in and that and that
1: different situation. and different chemistry. your each story has complementary chemistry so that the cells can perceive the story by the chemistry you release. Is it a love story? Oh, I got different chemicals for that. Is it a fear story? No, I got different chemicals for that. My cells are responding to my interpretation. So therefore, I control my genetics.
0: So this is another great place for me to kind of reflect. Uh, And I want to share with you my own experience that just happened last week, which was I've had this cold and cough. You probably hear a little bit of it. As I laid in bed at night thinking about was this COVID, right? Because we've all been programmed to think about is this COVID anytime we get sick now. I watched my mind go to the place where I know, I know better, but I couldn't help it. And where my mind went was, oh my gosh, what if this is COVID? What if I've gotten, you know, my kids sick with it what's going to happen to me what if I can't breathe what's that going to feel like holy cow I don't think I can breathe I'm having a hard time breathing I feel so anxious right now and you just spiral and and so this it, it is it is literally it can be this minute and I know that we all experience this because we're human and we can't not but How do we stop ourselves when we start to go down that path, right? And so when we're thinking about this, think about how many times a day this this potentially is showing up for you in your life. For me, it's very easy for me to notice it because I can notice very quickly when I'm starting to experience anxiety, when my heart is racing, when my thoughts are racing, when they're not making sense. But when we're talking about fear driving our health, this, is, this small example that I just gave is a perfect example of how it can even be extracted on a larger scale. So when we're carrying fear with us all the time, or we get a diagnosis, or we get a, um, we feel something in our bodies, and then we internalize that feeling and start to be fearful about what that means, we then perpetuate that experience for ourselves. So again, this is sort of a challenge to you as we go into 2022. How can you stop perpetuating these beliefs about yourself, whatever they are? Where can you start to take more control of your life so you can live, right? This is life, death, and the space between. We're all going to die. But how are you going to use these perspectives to help you live? So why aren't all doctors, <laughs> therapists? Why aren't we all kind of moving in that direction? Where's the resistance? I mean, I know it's moving more there now than maybe ever before. Oh,
1: yes, absolutely. Because it's a this is a hard science now. This is not like, oh, uh, this is a suggestion. No, this is an absolute fact. Epigenetics controls your heredity. And, and epigenetics can change the action of every gene that you have. So I could come with, uh, you know, let me, very important point. Let's just say this right up because it's like, it's like there is no gene that causes cancer. There's not one gene that causes cancer. I go, what do you mean? I say, I got all these oncogenes, cancer genes. I go, they're correlated with cancer. They don't cause cancer. Uh, and and this difference is profound for so for example um the the brca gene for breast cancer right uh what has the public been programmed with if you have that gene (laughs) you can get the breast cancer so someone like uh, angelina jolie her mother dies from breast cancer her grandmother died from breast cancer she finds out she's got the breast cancer gene oh my god i'm gonna die if i have these breast cancer things so i will double mastectomy. I'm a healthy young woman. I'm going to have a double mastectomy just to prevent that problem. I go, A, that doesn't prevent the problem because the cancer still will show up. Uh, But B, does the gene cause cancer? And then I answer with this. Half of the women with the gene never get the cancer. So I said, but what does that mean? Possession of the gene doesn't mean you get cancer. So the gene is correlated with cancer, but the possession of it doesn't mean you get it. Mm-hmm. I say, then, What's the difference between a woman who has the gene and gets the cancer versus a woman who has the gene and doesn't get the cancer? And the answer, you ready? Lifestyle, belief, stress. That's what's different. And when you're, yes, go ahead, Amy.
0: No, and how much of, of that, I mean, that's a controversial thing to say right now. Right? I mean, in general. I'm right?
1: not. I'm going to say it scientifically. I don't care if you have a breast cancer gene. It does not mean you're going to get breast cancer. Fact.
0: <laughs> so, but how do people who are programmed from a place of fear, right? Like, we're yeah. all kind of told all of these things all the time. I mean, fear is rampant right now. We'll talk about it. Yes you know, a pandemic, we have a pandemic of fear out there for sure. How does that kind of play into the belief that you're actually going to get? Because this is your your book, The Biology of Belief, right?
1: What's your perception? Uh, 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 You come out of the diagnosis, you come out of the doctor's office, the doctor just told you, you have the breast cancer gene two offices right next to each other, two, two patients, two doctors. And both patients are given what? A prognosis that uh, they're, they're going to have cancer and they're going to die in about three months. So uh, the doctors formally tell them, look, um, you, you better go home and straighten out your details because you've got about three months left to live. Okay. Now here's the difference. One patient in one room goes, Damn those stupid cells, Those cells are killing me. The cells did it. The cells are responsible. I'm gonna radiate them. I'm gonna kill them with chemistry. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of those dumb cells and then I'll be healthy again. okay? The other person in the room next door is going at the same time of the diagnosis going, Man, my life is so out of order. You know, it's so stressful. Everything I'm doing, my life, my job, the people I live with, the environment—it's stress and stress. And and that person goes, "If I only have three months left, I'm just going to go out and enjoy myself. I'm going to let go of all this. I'm just going to let go of this stress. I don't. Who cares? If I only got three months, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want." And then I say, "So tell me what happens three months later." And the answer is. The one with the, the genes did it and I'm nothing, I'm just a victim, is the one who's going to die. The one who said, my life is not serving me. My life is, uh, you know, causing the stresses that are undoing my biology. That one who says, well, I'll, I'm just going to go out. Three months, are on vacation. A year, they're on vacation, you know. I go, two years, they're still, I go, what happened? the cancer is a direct relationship to a stressful environment that you cannot handle. Mm -hmm. But if you do handle it, then cancers undergo a remission.
0: So the, the takeaway in all of this, what, what Dr. Lipton was just talking about is take more vacations. And what I mean by that is yes, If you can afford and you have the means to escape your life periodically, absolutely do that. But if you can't, what are the things you can do every single day to take a vacation? Whether that is to sit and meditate, whether that is to go for a walk with a friend, whether that is to uh, take a yoga class or go to an art class or move your body, whatever it is for you that feels like a vacation every single day. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this along with you. I am implementing this in my life. Where can I every day find a way to take a little vacation from my life to reset myself at a cellular
1: level. In cancer, the cells are not the problem. The cells are the symptom. And what do you mean? I say it's a mirror telling you your biology is telling you that your your thoughts are not in harmony with what's going on in here. Disharmony, disease. Harmony, health. And so, that's, yes.
0: So, so let's break that down a little because I had um, Dr. Jeff Redinger on the show. Reding. Randy jur. I always wonderful say man. Yeah, wonderful. he he's. I'm so grateful because he's who connected us, and he did all of. He wrote a whole book on spontaneous healing and yeah. remissions. Um, but when I thought this was so important in your book, and I'm going to just read it because I don't want to misread it m- or misquote it. Okay, you said, you need more than just positive thinking to harness control of your body and your life. It's important for our health and well-being to shift our mind's energy towards the positive, life-generating thoughts and eliminate ever-present energy-draining and debilitating negative thoughts. But, and I mean that in the biggest sense of BUT capital the mere thinking of positive thoughts will not necessarily have any impact on our lives at all in fact people who flunk positive thinking become more debilitated because they now have they because they now think their situation is hopeless they believe they have exhausted all mind and body remedies And so when you say like, because I'm a big believer in this, you can't just think you're going to think positive and suddenly that's it. So can you talk about what that's about in terms of our conscious and subconscious mind Uh, and how we how we address that?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start with the general thing that the public has been hearing. The mind is controlling our biology. Okay, that's that's not a new idea that the ancient people, you know, the Buddha twenty five hundred years ago said, "What we think we become meaning that your consciousness is creating what your reality is. And we say, the mind. And I go, that's where the problem comes from. The mind sounds like there's a single mind up here. I go, no, there are two minds interdependent, meaning two minds that are working together, okay? And I say, what are they? I say, these two minds, listen, learn in different ways and have different functions, Okay. I say, so what are the two minds? Well, let me talk about the latest part of the mind right behind your forehead. This is where consciousness is the seat of the conscious mind, about 10% of the brain, right up here in the front. The remaining 90% back here was there before consciousness. It's called the subconscious. What's the difference? Subconscious means whatever behavior is coming from the, the subconscious, it doesn't require your thoughts at all. It's below consciousness. Uh, you don't, you're not controlling your heart rate consciously right now. You can, but uh, you're not, your body temperature, that's automatic. Your heart rate, your breathing rate, all these things, you don't have to think about it. It's automatic, subconscious, okay? So I go, so what's the point here? And the point is this. Subconscious is the equivalent of an autopilot. I go, what does that mean? I say, why do I need an autopilot? Why not just use my conscious creativity? And that's the, okay, functional difference, because I said they're different. Conscious mind is creative. It has imagination. You can picture anything you want to picture with it, okay? Subconscious mind is not creative. It's habit, habitual, What programs are in the subconscious are like programs in your hard drive. You push start, program runs by itself. I don't need to do anything. The program runs by itself. But the conscious mind is the one who's typing on the keyboard, interfacing the program. Okay? So the conscious mind is creative, wishes and desires, and can control the biology. Here's the problem. This is the problem. The conscious mind can also think. There you go. What you, where's the problem I go imagine your body as a vehicle with a steering wheel okay and I say when the conscious mind is driving the vehicle the conscious mind's got its hands on the wheel it's going to take you toward wishes and desires and imagination that's what it does it has creative stuff in it okay but I say Uh, When the subconscious mind uh, is in that state, the the conscious mind's got its hands on the wheel, subconscious mind's taking care of blood and breathing and respiration and all that. But then if I think, and I go, so what? I go, well, if you're driving the vehicle and the conscious mind is looking out the windshield to see where we're going, so we can control where we're going. But when you think, the conscious mind stops looking out the window because the conscious mind has to go inside, So I say, uh, Amy, tell me what you're doing on Saturday. Now, you're sitting right there, right in your place right now. And let's pretend you don't have an agenda out in front of you or any, you know, calendar. And I say, tell me what you're doing on Saturday. I bet you within a moment or two, you're going to tell me, oh, I'm doing this. I say, where'd you get the answer? You say, oh, I thought about it. What am I doing on Saturday? What am I doing on Saturday? I go, guess what? When you're thinking, conscious mind is not looking out the window conscious mind is now looking inside because answers for thoughts are inside so i say yeah but if the conscious mind's driving the car the vehicle and it starts looking inside then who's going to drive the vehicle if i'm really let's just say i'm really driving a car and i start thinking my conscious mind is not looking out the windshield it's going inside where am i going what am i doing i go oh my god then who the heck is going to drive the car? Because if conscious mind can't look out the window, we're in a lot of trouble. And I go, subconscious mind knows how to drive the car because it's a habit program that you learn. So the moment you stop paying attention to the road, subconscious is autopilot gets behind the wheel and puts its hands on the wheel and will drive the vehicle while you're thinking. Okay. Now I go, so why is this relevant? Well, The behavior that you're playing when you're thinking is straight from the subconscious program, just whatever the program is. And I go, and where did you get those programs? I go, not from you. You got them from your parents, your siblings, and your community between birth and age seven is when we download the programs to use in our brain. And I go, and you downloaded those programs from who? Where did you get those programs? From other people. Science has recognized that we are thinking 95% of the day. I said, so what does that mean? I said, well, if I'm thinking 95% of the day, my creative conscious wishes and desires mind is not working and controlling the vehicle because that mind went inside 95% of the day. Then I said, what is my behavior? 95% of my behavior is whatever I got from my program. And I go, yes. Yes.
0: So, do you differentiate subconscious from unconscious? Like in a? Th- no, they're the same. Okay, B- so both you the, use them this, interchangeably.
1: Yeah, but conscious means I have a thoughtful concern over what I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. conscious of what I'm doing. Subconscious is like, oh, it just happened. I, you know, I'm walking down the street. Do I have to think? Right foot, left foot, move. And no, that's I don't have to think about that. that's under unconscious, subconscious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here, so here, what are we coming down to conclusion with? And it's this. Is this you as a personal I- identity a source as an individual is what the conscious mind's all about the subconscious mind is just a database of programs just like the hard drive in your computer and i say so why is it relevant because the subconscious mind is autopilot when i'm thinking my subconscious mind takes over driving the car walking whatever i need to the standard things i know how to do because i've done them my whole life okay and i say and you got your programs from who Well, parents and siblings and family. And I go, were they fully supportive of what you want in your life? I say, no, because their life doesn't go where I want to go. But I tell you what, 95% of the day, your behavior is controlled by those programs, A, and B, you didn't see it. You didn't see your behavior 95% of the day. What do you mean I didn't see my behavior? I said, because when you're thinking, the behavior is automatic i give a story, same story, Amy, 30 years, 35 years lecture. Uh, I, I look for a better one, but at this point, 35 years, i can still give you the same story. <laughs> I'll see if story, I can come
0: up with something.
1: Okay, so here's the story. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very well, and you know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parent. So you volunteer, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad back away from Bill. The moment you say that, Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. I don't know where you come up with that stuff. And I go, most profound story in the whole world. I go, why? Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Who's the one that doesn't see it? Bill. So explain that. The answer is simple. He downloaded that behavior from his father in the first seven years, and he only plays that Program when he's thinking, which means his conscious mind is not looking out the window, not paying attention to what's going on. His behavior is automatically running from a program that he got from somebody else. I go, So why is that relevant? Because he doesn't see what he's doing. And as a result, he could be sabotaging himself all day long, and he's the only one that doesn't see it. But then I say, But what's going on in the mind of Bill? And I go, He woke up in the morning with positive wishes and desires. Today, I'm going to find a relationship. Today, I'm going to be healthy. Today, I'm going to be successful. And at the end of the day, he comes home. It didn't happen. And I say, so what would Bill think about what just happened during the day? It's not me. I went forward with a great positive thinking. And I go, what happened? The positive thinking mind only worked 5%. So how much can I express of that positive thing? I say 5% of your day, only 95% of a day, you're the program, but you don't see it. And as a result, you perceive yourself to be a victim of the world because you had very positive thinking and you end up with very negative reality. And therefore it's like, well, it's not me. I go, it's your subconscious. It was operating 95% of the day without you seeing it. Other people respond to it because they see it, but you don't.
0: So Dr. Lipton just said a lot. And this is where I really believe that the practices, the tools that we have to become aware of these unconscious programs are so important, whether that be meditation, therapy, uh, yoga, whatever, again, whatever, I keep going back to those today because that's sort of the mindset that I'm in right now. But, but that awareness, the insight to what is driving your behavior is so important. When you are in relationships with people and you keep repeating the same patterns over and over again, is that because your unconscious mind is driving those relationships? It's driving your behavior. That person isn't driving your behavior. How, how you respond to that person is going to be different than how I respond to that person. So what does that say? That says it's not the person. It says it's me. It's what's inside of me. It's my own unconscious is driving my response to that person's behavior. And when this goes on in relationships, in our lives for years and years and years, all of these experiences, are not our own we're projecting this is projection right we are projecting onto others our own experience of them when we are angry at someone else what are we really angry about what are they triggering in us that is making us angry and if that is happening then we think about from a scientific perspective how is this impacting us at a cellular level And that is where the science and the spirituality and the awareness all come together. That is where we can begin to make changes at the cellular level by shifting our conscious, our unconscious awareness to conscious awareness. Again, many tools to get there meditation, yoga, nature, therapy, whatever it is, but just get there. Like what you heard today and want to hear more?